Great. I'll skip. I'll skip. We, we ordained a, a Brazilian pastor to assist Pastor Sergio. It was a fantastic night, but on another Sunday when there's more people here and they're not on holiday, I'll explain more about it. How can I put it? Eyes forward, please. Have you ever felt victimized? Did you ever think to yourself, how come other people seem to have it easier than me? My life is ABC and other people just seem to have it easier. I mean, I don't mind one thing going wrong. I don't mind two things going wrong. But how many years is this going to go on for? What, what's it with me? Is it just me that thinks that sometimes? Is it just me? <laughs> what's it with me, Lord? Why picking on me? It's a very human thing. It's a very human thing. You can look at your life and you can think that God is just so incredibly unfair. One of the first things a child learns to say, that's not, that's not fair. It's not fair. And if you listen today, if you will listen, you may re receive today a key that you may never hear again. Your whole life. You may never hear, because this is a little bit intricate, and some things are. The Apostle Paul said some things are quite complicated. And the word today is a little bit tricky. But it's necessary. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy as a Christian. Put effort into listening, so that you catch it. You get the spirit of it. Amen. We're doing a series at the moment about your spirit, not your soul. We get lots of teaching on the soul, and we need it. But we're doing a teaching on the spirit because the soul can be so deceptive. People can appear so nice on the surface, but when trouble comes, they're not nice at all. They turn into an absolute monster, right? Not you, of course. And the Bible talks about many types of spirit, not soul. A wise spirit that Daniel had. A humble spirit. Moses had a meek spirit. And we're trying... To ask God to help me discover my spirit because the disciples, ironically, Jesus told them that they didn't know what their spirit was like. You don't even know your own spirit. You know not what manner of spirit you're of. And that's our goal through this series. To find out who I am as God sees me and to ask God, create in me a pure heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. Amen. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible, and I'm sure if you've read it, it's yours too. It says in Micah chapter 6, it says this, What does God require of me? What does God require of you? Look at this, please, eyes forward, full attention. To act justly. To love mercy. And to walk Humbly. Look at that central pl uh, placement by God. That you, in your heart, in the center of your being, you would be a merciful person. It doesn't stop there. I don't believe there's accidents in the Bible. Right? And the more you study it, the less I believe that. When Jesus himself taught the Beatitudes, there's nine of them. He gave the first four. He gave the last four. But the central Beatitude was mercy. When David was giving instructions to Solomon about the temple, they were so detailed. 
But David made no mistake. He said to Solomon emphatically, right at the center of the temple, I want the mercy seat. I want the mercy seat. And when people look at God, I want them to realize who he is, what his heart is, what God is like. And we are intended to reflect that. I think you've got a problem. I've got lots of problems. <laughs> I think you've got a problem. I think you don't know the difference between grace and mercy. And I think that problem is bigger maybe than you think. And behind that lack of understanding, lack of studying the scripture, can lead to many lifelong issues. And I mean lifelong. Repeated traumas in life. Look at this. Grace gives me what I don't deserve. But mercy holds back what I do deserve. Did you get it? It's a very important distinction. There's two different themes, two different attributes of God. Grace gives me what I don't deserve. I don't deserve this. That's fine. That displays the goodness of God. But mercy, very different characteristic. It holds back what the, the judgment that should come on me. It holds back the trauma that can come on me. And we need, you need in your life, both grace and mercy. And I want to say, folks, please listen to me prophetically. Some of you are lacking mercy. You're lacking the mercy of God. And that's what's maybe caused many issues. Now, I hope I don't shock anybody here. Let's have a look around. No, I don't think I'll shock anybody. I've been a pastor 27 years. And in that time, about four times, I've had a phone call to say, a pastor, another pastor in this city or that has committed adultery. Okay? So, not the same guy. Hallelujah. Uh, could you go and sort it out? So, and when you deal with issues like that, you learn a lot. And I dealt with the first situation. Let me choose two because I want you to really get something this morning. Mr. A, Pastor A and Pastor B. Okay? I would describe Pastor A and Pastor B as pretty much normal guys. I would describe Pastor A and Pastor B as normal pastors. I would describe their Christianity as normal. Everything's normal so far, right? They both committed adultery in a normal kind of way. But guess what? There's a big difference in the outcome. Pastor A, even though he sinned, he lost nothing. His wife stayed with him. The whole sin was covered up. Even though he sinned, he didn't lose his wife, didn't lose his children, didn't lose his ministry, didn't lose his reputation. Everything carried on and his sin was covered. And yet, Pastor B, everybody was talking about him. The whole world is talking about him. Did you hear about this person? He lost his wife, lost his children, lost his home. Lost his ministry, lost his reputation. His sin was uncovered. Now as I dealt with different pastors, it puzzled me. And I can remember back in time, walking and thinking, God, is this fair? Is God fair? Why does one pastor, because these guys look the same to me. Why does one guy, his sin is uncovered, and the other guy, his sin is covered? 
So grace gives me what I don't deserve, but mercy holds back what I do. And some people lack mercy. And so they get what they deserve. And they never understand or enter into that distinction. It's kind of scary. Oh, Jesus. Let me say this, friends. God loves to cover you. He'll cover you. He'll bless you. You blow it, he'll bless you. He's a good God. He's not out to shame anyone. And you have to be very careful of the way you handle mercy. The Ark of the Covenant was phenomenal. Let's say the Ark was about the size of a car, a small car. And they had poles that they carried it with. And on top of the Ark was called the mercy seat. It was the lid. It was the cover. And in here, it it represents your sin is hidden in the box. Your sin was hidden, if you like, inside the Ark of the Covenant. Listen carefully. And God says, put the cover on it. Put the mercy on it. Cover them with mercy. But there was a man called Uzziah. Remember him? I hope you do. The Ark was being carried along. And they came across rocky ground. And the Ark was going to fall off the cart. And this guy, Uzziah, reached out his hand... And touched the ark and he was struck dead by God. Do you know why? Because there's a lid on that ark. And as he touched it, he was just about to uncover. He was just about to uncover what God has covered. And so God struck him dead. He's not the only one. In 1 Chronicles, there were six men, I think it was, who approached the ark in exactly the same way. And they went to uncover the lid and they were all struck dead. And the warning is, what God covers, you never uncover. Amen. Amen. And so as I worked with the different pastors and worked over the years, I learned when to speak and I learned when to be quiet. I believe I am trustworthy in terms of prophecy with God because he's told me things. (laughs) But take things you don't uncover. Things that you live and die with. Things you pray about for people and for this and for that and the other. And you'll see how serious this is in a moment. Many Christians, their hearts cry is, that's not fair. It's just not fair. My life's not fair. And you could, when it comes to mercy, like take those two pastors, Pastor A and Pastor B. One gets exposed, loses everything, and the other one loses nothing. And you could think, well, is God just saying, uh, I'll cover him and I won't cover him? Is it like arbitrary? Is there, any, is there anything? Well, God answers that question twice. In the Old Testament, he says this, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. So don't tell me who I'll cover. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And then in the New Testament, he says exactly the same thing. I will choose who I will have mercy on and I will choose who I will cover. Now, that's an important point to remember, but it's not the full theology. It's not the full doctrine surrounding mercy. The next bit is massively important for you and for me, for our future. You should be asking yourself a question right now. Is it possible for me to get mercy? That's the question that should be in your head. Can I ask God 
to cover me and my life with his mercy? And the answer to that question is, yes, you can receive mercy. Thank God for the Beatitudes. Point number one. How do we know that we can receive mercy? Number one, God says that he will give mercy to the blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You know, you look at King David and you look at other kings in the Bible. Kings were, you know, sawn in two and all sorts of things happened. Yet David committed adultery and David wasn't put off the throne. David stayed in ministry, right? Remember? Interesting fact, because when Saul, when David defeated Saul, David told them to wipe out, they killed all of Saul's family, all of the relatives, remember? They were all wiped out. And David's on the throne, listen carefully. David's sitting on the throne. It's a wonderful piece of scripture, and he says, <clears throat> is there anybody still alive? Saul's family, is there anybody left? And they say, no, oh, the disabled guy. What's his name? He can't walk. Mephibosheth. He was dropped when he was a baby. He can't walk. He's still alive, but that doesn't really matter. And David said, bring him to me. Now, that Mephibosheth should have had his head cut off. Just like everybody else. But David not only said, bring that guy to me. He sat him at the king's table. And he said, for the rest of your life, you will receive mercy. And many people say, well, why was David covered by God? Well, do you see? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And David was very merciful to Mephibosheth. And so God was very merciful to David. Do you know all his life, it's an interesting fact. Before Bathsheba, right? David, before Bathsheba, when he saw the ark, he mentions it a multitude of times. He, he says, the ark of the covenant, the ark of the covenant, the ark of the covenant. But after the Bathsheba incident, do you know what he calls it? The mercy seat. Yeah. <laughs> the mercy seat, the mercy seat, the mercy seat. His, the way he saw God fundamentally changed from that point on. And he realized that he's not all that, if you know what I mean. Uh, the character of David is phenomenal. It's just uh, the man after God's own heart. And he had a merciful heart. But point number one, can I receive mercy? Yes, you can. Just remember this. God gives mercy to the merciful. He himself is merciful. So I need to be merciful. And God gives mercy to the merciful. Secondly, God gives mercy to people who ask for it. And that sounds very simple, but like Wednesday night in here, by the way, it was fantastic. I praise the Lord for that. And you can come Tuesday night, Wednesday night for prayer and ministry. But this church is not very dissimilar to most churches that are in LFC, VFC, if you like, that I would be in. I was in a big church last week. And the prayers are the same. When I listen to you pray, it's good. I like it. It's great. Fine. You pray for victory. Hallelujah. Pray for increase. Hallelujah. Pray for breakthroughs. Pray for prosperity. Hallelujah. Keep doing it. No problem. Where's the mercy? Where's your prayer for mercy? When did you last? Do you, do you know why you don't pray for mercy? Because you think you don't need it. You think you don't need it. 
So you go for other things. Blessed is the man. You know, those Beatitudes are fantastic. Blessed are the meek in spirit. Ah, blessed are the meek in spirit because they're going to receive something. They're going to receive mercy. But if I'm, are you getting it? Yeah. But if I'm cocky or proud or self-righteous in the wrong way, that's not going to cut it. I need to come to this church this morning realizing I need God's mercy, never mind His grace. Or you wouldn't be here. Don't believe me? Jesus told a parable one day. He said, one day, two guys came to LFC. I'll make it contemporary. And the first guy walked in, marched straight up and sat on the front row. And he started to tell God how great he was. All about himself. And Jesus said, another man arrived at LFC, but he stayed at the back. And he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus himself said, which one of these guys has got it right? And who went home justified? And he said, Jesus says to you, the man who knew he needed When did you last fall on your knees and ask God for mercy? I mean, where do you want to start? You wouldn't be breathing without His mercy. You wouldn't be here without His mercy. You wouldn't have a job without His mercy. You would have nothing without His mercy. I was, never forget this, many years ago, I was in Costa Coffee in Glasgow where I write my sermon sometimes. And uh, there's a taxi driver there, takes me to the airport. I know him. I meet him all the time. His name's Michael. And I was getting ready to do work. So I arrived in, in the coffee shop early in the morning, you know. So I come running. Oh, hi, Michael. And he said, hi. And I go over and I sit down and I'm totally engrossed in my work. And I'm, you know, it's the paper. And he goes to leave. And he just, he walks slowly because he's obviously not got anybody to pick up in his taxi. So he walks slowly past and he says, See you then, Michael. I said, oh yeah, see you, Michael. Are, are you busy? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm quite busy, yeah. I said, okay, see you then. I said, see ya. And he walked off, but he walked back. And he leaned over my table and he said, you know what? You're a very lucky man. And he so sad walked away. Do you know what he was saying? I've got nothing to live for. And I can see you've got something to live for. That's what he was saying. Oh, Jesus. Look at that worship this morning. Was that good or what? It gives this team something to live for. Amen? Jesus is something to live for. Gives you a passion. Gives you a motive. Don't despise it. Praise God for it. There are people out there who are vacant and empty. They've got nothing. Nothing. Nothing to get up for. Oh, Jesus. Sorry, I ran out in the middle of the service. I can't help it. Um, you know, I was it. But 20 years ago, same thing happened to me, Simeon. I was standing in the service in my church in Dublin, and I was just uh, in the middle of the worship. And I had a clear word, and God said, there's a child with his brain his child's going to die. His name is Jordan. And I jumped up. I took the mic, stopped the worship, and I said, Guy called, there's a child called Jordan. And people go, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the child's going to die. His brain. And we prayed as a church. I don't, it's just a, just a prophetic word. 
And it was the following Friday, I think, I was in a big church in Dublin City with the senior pastor, Gary Davidson. And I just happened to say to him, you know, last Sunday, a strange thing happened to me. I got this word from the Lord that there was a, a child, Jordan, and he was moved before me. And he said, I, Joe, the, I actually knew the guy, the father of the child. He said, Jordan was having a brain operation. Jordan was having a brain operation on Sunday. That's what was happening at that time. So Gary, when they had a celebration in St. Mark's Church in Dublin, he brought that testimony to the whole gathered community. And he brought it as a testimony of this, that we're one body. Because I'm not even in that church. But even though we're not in that church, God wanted everyone praying. You see? Now this morning when I was in the middle of the worship, I just got a word. That's why I ran outside with Simeon. Somebody's committing suicide. Around here. I can see it. I can feel it. So I just grabbed him and we, I believe we did break it. Hallelujah. My point is, mercy. Mercy. People out here, when we're basking in God's glory, there's someone out there cutting their wrists. Mercy is on you, friend. Mercy is on you. Mercy, mercy, mercy. And may God forgive us for not recognizing it, not walking in it. I put this picture on your notes from the Nuremberg trials. I studied this in great detail many years ago. I found it very fascinating. There was 22 men. This w these were the inner circle of Hitler. So these were the guys who orchestrated everything for the whole of the German Empire at that time. Now, when the trials started, they got these 22 men in a room and they said to them, you're entitled to two things. You can have a lawyer and you can have a priest or a pastor. And Goering and Hess didn't want priest or a pastor and there was one other guy as well. But 15 of them asked for a pastor, five of them asked for a priest. And then they had to find a pastor who was fluent in German and they, they, it wasn't easy to find someone who would be the pastor of this crew. Hello. But they found a guy called Pastor Erica. And Erica went in. And here, can you imagine preaching the gospel to this lot? They were on trial for the murder of 30 million people. That was the charge. 30 million. And 6 million Jews included in that. So Erica went in, and he, he, it's a famous testimony. These 15 men come in, Hitler's top men, responsible for all this murder. And he explains the gospel. And explains that they need to repent of what they've done. Now some of them don't want to know. Some of them don't ask for mercy. But you see the guy, uh, Keitel there. He was the head of the German army. And he was the first man who got up from his seat... And he walked down to the front. He got down on his knees. And he prayed to God. And he said, God, forgive me. What we did was wrong. God, have mercy on me. And then he lifted his head and he asked Pastor Erica, can I have communion? And they gave him communion. And then he was hung. Because he was sentenced to be hanged. His family, Keitel's family, live in England. They're Baptists. And they tell the story, you know, of their relative who was in Hitler's inner circle. But a relative who just at that last moment, I'm wrong. 
We've all been wrong. He wasn't the only one. Albert Speer on the back row there. He also, he, he came, he, he died in London in 1982. I find these lives fascinating. But my point is, even when mercy was available, some people didn't ask for it. Mercy is given to those who ask for it. I say that I need it. I, with Jeanette, I ran a drop-in center for heroin addicts for years, three years. Um, we had that place three days a week, and we had hundreds of, hundreds of addicts. But the most miserable two people I can ever remember was a couple called Christy and Dawn, and they, everything was dirty. I mean, a woman shouldn't be dirty. Do you know what I mean? It's like double bad. Her skin was dirty. Her hair was dirty. Her clothes were dirty. He was filthy. And these guys were just on the street. And my heart went out to them. And they came in and I broke all of our rules. And I said to them, you can sleep in our building. They had nowhere to go. And myself and my wife gave them money. We gave them food. And they stayed in the building and they were hiding. Because I, my, I, my heart broke for them. You know, they, those two people felt like nothing. They felt like they were nothing. And they were sitting at the back. And I'm preaching one night and the meeting's over and everything's over. And they were talking with each other and they came up to me with a brokenness in them. And he spoke, I remember it, and he said, Pastor Mike, we were listening to what you said. Are you saying that we, we could pray? Like, like, like pray and we would be like you? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no. Is that it? I was saying, you can pray and God will have mercy on you just like he did to me. Ever see Dragon's Den where you, they go to the back of the room? They say, excuse us. So off they go. And they're conferring with each other. And they come back to me, hand in hand, and they stood in front of me. Big smiles, black teeth. You know the story. <laughs> Methadone, rots the teeth. Big smiles. We would like to pray the prayer for Jesus and that's as far as they got both of them burst into tongues right in front of me they were terrified so was I it scared the light I didn't expect it it was just an eruption oh Lord did they receive mercy do you know what they knew they needed it that's all they knew they needed it and many people Squeaky clean people, so well dressed. Brilliant white. Come and you can't receive nothing. Can't receive anything. And you've got to ask yourself, why? How is God looking at this? Why does he bless those people? They didn't even get to finish the sentence. And that shows me how eager he is. huh? How eager God is. Why doesn't God? Well, why don't you? Why doesn't God do ABC? Why don't you do ABC? Is God at fault? I don't think so. I need mercy. And scripture said God gives mercy to the merciful. Scripture says God gives mercy to those who ask for it. So I need to ask for it. Lest he gives me what I deserve. God forbid. Do not give me what I deserve. Please, Lord, that's hell. Same as you. Do not give me what I deserve. I, I beg of you for mercy. 
And thirdly, this is the scary part. God withholds mercy from those who repeatedly abuse it. So within you, you, you think back over your life. Can you remember a time when God gave you mercy? Right? Don't abuse it. Because if you abuse it, I'm giving you a warning. He can take it away from you. Okay? Sorry, but it's true. Imagine if you're walking down the Thames and you see somebody jump in the river. And your heart goes out to them, so you take your coat off, you jump in the river and you save them. You risk your own life and you save them. And you put them on solid ground. There you are, say thank you. And then they jump back in. So you jump back in again. Now you're risking your life a second time. And you get them on solid ground. Oh, that was close. Over they go. Come back. I'm gone again. How many times am I going to let you abuse that? How long is this going to go on? Well, Jesus answered that question very clearly in the parable of the man who had a lot of debt. Once upon a time, there was a man with great debt. And he comes to the landowner and he says, Would you please give me mercy and forgive my debt? And the king says, Do you know what? I'm going to have mercy on you. You can go. Your debt is written off. Out he goes and he meets someone who owes him a little bit of money. And scripture says this, He beats the person mercilessly. No mercy. And the king finds out. He said, bring him back. Listen carefully to the next bit, because this is the important bit. He says, the debt is back on. That's the important bit. I am reinstating the debt. I took it away. I have the power to take it away. And I have the power to put it back. Your debt is back on. And you will suffer. And this is the heart of what I want you to get today. You, scripture says this. So Jesus said, you will suffer for the rest of your days until that debt is paid. That's scary. Right? That is scary. See, do you know why? Because the king had done him good. But he repaid good with evil. He got mercy. And he trashed the mercy. Proverbs chapter 17. If anyone repays good with evil... The sword, or trouble, will never leave your house. Wow. So if God does you good, if God gives you mercy, are you listening to me? You've got relatives, you've got friends, and all their lives there's been nothing but trouble. You know that. One problem after another problem after another. How long will they go on? Do, does the Bible have an answer? If anyone repays good with evil, God does you good and you do evil, the sword, the trouble, the trauma will go on for your entire life. That's scary. Amen? I was listening to a conference this week. I tell you what, friends, be careful who you listen to. I'm warning you, there's some quacks and crackpots out there giving terrible advice. This conference was, was about Jesus coming back and all that. And the, the, the emphasis of these pastors was, we have this merciful, merciful Jesus coming back for us. You know, merciful, merciful Jesus. going to come back and loads of mercy on the world. I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, um, 
<coughs> excuse me, <laughs> no, no, completely wrong, completely wrong. Jesus will come to earth twice. The first time is in mercy, the cross, and the second time is in complete judgment. So the one who is returning, he's not on a donkey, he's on a white horse. And I make that point because it's a very serious point. There's only, if you, I did church history at Cardiff University, and one of the central points of that is understanding the big picture. They call these the big seven. There's only really seven major epochs in history. Creation, the law, the giving of mercy through Jesus on the cross, Pentecost, and then judgment, then the millennium, then eternity. This is where we, where we are. You are still in the era of mercy, but it's almost over. So if you're going to ask for mercy, when should you do it? Right now. And I really mean that. In light of looking at the world out there and everything that's going on, I don't know about you, but I don't think we've got a lot of time left. That's not fair. My life's not fair. What's happened to me? My struggles, my traumas, my hurts, my pains, not fair. Well, maybe today you can ask for mercy. Amen? I know I want to. And I want mercy to be the central part of my life and my world. Amen? I was in pret a I go there very early because they open at 5.30. I get up very early. And there's the same people in there every day. The train workers, Michael, your, your crowd, they come in. I was sitting there, and we get homeless people nearly every morning. They come and they go, they come and they go, and most of them are fine. But this one day, there's probably about 15 people in the room. We're all just sitting, having coffee, half five. And across the street came the most disheveled mess of a human being. Now, I didn't see him for a little while. But it was like someone who's just, that's it. It's like the guy had a duvet, not hardly dressed, and he's just like coming out. I oh, look at this guy. My point is, I didn't see him for a while. But there was at least 15 people sitting watching him, and nobody moved. Nobody moved. And when I saw him, I went out to him, and I said, come in. And I brought him in. Sit down. Can I get you, you know, coffee, tea, whatever? Got him a drink, sat him down, put some money in his hand and started talking to him. I, I, but I remember when it was over, thinking, where's your heart? Where's the heart of these people? That man is nothing. That man doesn't exist. He's invisible. Where's your mercy? Where's your mercy? country and western song Brandon don't shoot the wounded one day you might be wounded don't shoot the wounded one day you might be wounded don't withhold your mercy because I guarantee you one day you're going to need it stand a moment invite the worship team I'm going to give you a moment with your God to embrace the Beatitudes and particularly that of grace and mercy.
Maybe we should begin. Maybe you could begin by just thanking God for all the mercy he has already bestowed upon you. Say thank you, God, for all the mercy. All the things I know and I've reckoned, all the things I don't even think about. My breath, that I can walk and live. Thank you for the mercy of the past. I'm going to ask Pastor Simeon to pray over us, to open the gates of our hearts, that we would leave this place merciful representatives of a merciful God. Hallelujah. Pray with me for a few seconds, maybe a minute or so. Just ask the Lord. The Bible says that if we ask for mercy, we will receive it. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Pray with me for a few minutes. Pray with me. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we open our hearts today. We open our spirits to your word. We trust God that you will continue to help us to get into a place where we are able to release mercy. Mercy beyond measure. Mercy beyond measure. Like God, Father, we will be able to show that aspect of you, our God. For you created us in your image, just as you are. We have it in us, oh God, to be merciful. So we pray today that we will not be deceived by the circumstances and by the pain that we go through to withhold what we ought to give. Father, help us today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Give us the ability, the strength, the tenacity to be able to release mercy. Mercy when it's supposed to be released, oh God. In the name of Jesus. Help us, Lord, that we will not be a people that exploits your mercy. For God, as you show us mercy, we will not take it for granted. We will not take it lightly, but we will take it as you give it to us and be mindful of the mercies that you show in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Jeremiah, he saw the, dis the distress and the difficulty that was coming upon the children of Israel. He cried out to God in lament and he cried out and he prayed and said so many things. But he says, when I remember the mercies of God, it fills my heart with hope again. The mercies of God, it never fails. His faithfulness is forevermore. So God, we pray today that your mercy will continue to flourish over our lives. But help us to also give it. Give it when we need to, oh God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah.